You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. I should tell everybody that I'm at the 9-Foot Homemade Oak Bar and that Ed is sitting with me and just carry on some sort of charade like everything is fine, but it's not fine. I'm sitting in a Hampton Inn along I-70 outside of Wheeling, West Virginia in a town called St. Clairsville because on my way back from my Florida vacation, I got diverted 16 hours to West Virginia because my wife lost her grandmother. Uh, She passed on and we had to run off to a funeral. So I had to do the whole services today. And maybe at some point I'll get into the intricacies of a West Virginia funeral. Probably not today, though. But I sent everybody down to the pool. I've got myself a yingling in the can. I'll open that up right here. And I'm ready to do 30 minutes of socks for fans, by fans, which is socks in the basement. I told I told Ed, take take the show off. I was like, I need 30 minutes. I need to talk about this team a little bit. I observe things while I've been sitting around watching it with my dad, with my uncle. I've been around family for the last week and a half. We've watched a lot of White Sox games, most of the time sitting in some sort of bar near the beach or, you know, sitting in the pool. We could see like the big screen TV. I I was enjoying myself. I know as I'm sitting here recording this, there was snow, I believe, on Monday in Chicago. But trust me, it's miserable here in West Virginia as well. I kind of wish I was home. But let's do the show. It's all brought to you by Cork and Carey at the park in the shadow of the ballpark, 33rd in Princeton. They have the award-winning menu of burgers at ballpark favorites. They got the extensive bar. They got the familiar favorites, the spirits, the wines, the rotations of craft beers. They are the place to be for White Sox pregame, postgame, in-game enjoyment. I, I think that it's probably the most fun place to hang out around the ballpark. Definitely pregame with the kids, postgame after a win, when they get one of those, it's a buzz. After a loss, it's an awful lot of fun, too. Last time that they had a loss and I was out there, uh, I had some great conversation with White Sox fans that just wanted to spout off. And don't forget their other location in Beverly at 10614 Southwestern Avenue. Learn all about them at CorkandCarry.com. And once again, get out the Cork and Carry at the park at 33rd and Princeton. So I, I've been sitting down for the last week, and I've been just pulling on my iPhone every once in a while into the notes section Because I'm sure there's a better way to do this, but I'm an old man. This is the only way I can remember things. Because I knew at some point I wanted to talk about this team. And I've just been writing questions about the White Sox. I've been writing down just things that pop into my brain that I want to ask about this team. Maybe you've come up with these questions as well. So I just want to go through some questions today. Questions I have for the 2023 Chicago White Sox, the organization, the players, you the fan, Just questions that I have. Maybe we can work this out together as I sit here. First off, here's a question for the White Sox marketing department. I wrote this down the other day. I want to kick off with this one. I think this one's good. Aloya Menez can't get through a substantial amount of games every year without being injured, right? And he gets activated from the injured list. And their social media puts out, welcome back to the big baby. Now, I'm not a marketing genius. I went to school with marketing kids at the College of Communications at the University of Illinois. They, they were in the same building as me. Like, I was getting my broadcast journalism degree that I never intended to use because I just wanted to be a radio broadcaster. In fact, 
little tidbit, as I'm sitting here just outside of Wheeling, West Virginia, I've been listening to 100.5 Womp FM all day. This is one of the first radio stations I was ever on out here. It was almost 20 years ago. It was more than 20 years ago. Holy cow, I'm old. 2000 and 2001. I was here in this town broadcasting on 9-11. Anyways, I sit here along I-70 in this miserable weather outside, uh, just wishing to get out of this place and get back home to the south side. I'm perplexed as to why the White Sox marketing department continues to go with the big baby nickname. I don't care if it's teammates call him it. I don't care if it's whispered amongst fans. The problem is the connotation of it when it's a guy that's always injured. And as he's coming off the injured list, you're saying the big baby's back. I mean, you read the comments in social media. Does anybody look at that and say, maybe we should stop calling the guy that's always injured the big baby? That's not me saying Eloy Jimenez is a big baby. There are plenty of other guys on this team that feel like they're big babies from time to time. You know, I got a problem. I'm not sure if I can go, blah, blah, blah. He's had some pretty legit injuries. But I mean, maybe let's start thinking about that in the future. Maybe we don't go with that moniker for Eloy Jimenez until he has a very long stretch in which he doesn't have an injury or maybe goes through the majority of a season or maybe even all of a season without an IL stint. Wouldn't that be amazing? What's the Vegas line on Eloy Jimenez not going on the IL? There should be prop bets for the next White Sox player that goes on the injured list. Yohan Mankata finally on it. I noticed that as well. I thought that was hysterical. You kept telling me it was day-to-day. What do we keep saying? Just put him on the list. You know he's not coming back. Why do we Why do we mess around with these things? He's clearly not going to go for a while. And thank God for Jake Berger. Jake Berger should never leave this team again. I don't care if he's righty and Gavin Sheets is a lefty. Jake Berger's giving me a lot more. Jake Berger wants to play. Jake Berger captures my imagination. Jake Berger comes up to the plate and hits missiles into the outfield. And I don't see anything different about his defense at third base and Hanser Alberto can't field uh, a bunt and blows a, blows a game for you in extra innings. So give me all the Jake Berger that wants to be here. He wants to be here too. Remember, Jake Berger got injured so badly. He was on the show and talked about it, how he doesn't want to carry the stigma of he's always injured. That's a thing for him. If Jake Berger has a tweak, Jake Berger will still be at third base. That guy's not playing only if he's really, really hurt. He's going to play through pain. I believe that about him. And I think White Sox fans don't want to see him disappear. The White Sox will be wrong to move him off of this roster. He's playing very well. I hope I see him on the south side for the entire season. They obviously should have broken camp with him. They're still not very good at figuring out who should stay and who should go. The front office is still brutal. The talent evaluators are still missing things that podcasters and bloggers can see and and John Q. Fan can see. Here's another question for you that I, I pondered over the last week or so watching White Sox games. Who's making the pitching decisions? Like, who is the person that decides which pitcher is coming in? Now, you may sit there and say, well, of course, that's Pedro's job, right? He's the manager. I don't know. Over the history of time with the White Sox, there were times when Don Cooper made decisions. He made decisions for Robin Ventura. There were times where other managers have deferred to the pitching coach. There were time, there was the time that I sat at SoxFest and asked Rick Hahn and Rick Renteria point blank who makes up the lineups and nobody could give me a straight answer because it's just this convoluted collaborative mess. The buck never stops with anyone. That's how everybody keeps their jobs. But who makes up the pitching decisions on this roster. I watched the team come out of a day off 
and send Jake Diekman to the mound with a lead. Jake Diekman's a garbage time pitcher. There's no difference between Jake Diekman and his metrics and the amount of guys he puts on base per inning than Jose Ruiz, with the exception of Jake Diekman, throws with his left arm. You got rid of Jose Ruiz because he was ineffective. Guess who else is ineffective? He just makes more money and throws with his left arm. In fact, the only time Jake Diekman has ever been effective in his career is before the rule change that forces a pitcher when he comes in to finish the inning or at least get three outs. And and when Pedro Grafal tries to explain why he comes into that game and sets up a monster inning, which of course, you know, the, the corporate entity that covers this team, NBC Sports, they put out an article like, oh, it, Reynaldo Lopez didn't have it. Are you kidding me? It was all set up by Jake Diekman. We can't talk about that, though, because it shines a light on how stupid this front office is for trading for him and then continuing to trot him out there in situations where you have a win pretty much in hand for him to give it away. So the state media will sit there and tell you, oh, Reynaldo Lopez just didn't have it. Reynaldo Lopez shouldn't even been in that position. Did he make the best pitch? No. But he wasn't put in a very good position, was he? And he's a guy who's been coming in, yes, in high leverage situations, but normally not in that inning. And you should have been able to build a bigger bridge to him, a better bridge to him with everybody rested coming into that game. Jake Diekman's only time he's ever been effective is when he could come in and pitch to one guy and be taken out of a game. That's what he is. And those guys went away in baseball, except for teams that can't figure that out. It reminds me of Moneyball. It really does. Ever read the book Moneyball? If you haven't, pick it up. It's not written by Billy Bean. The author just kind of follows him and looks at kind of things that he's doing. And he figures out things that other people in Major League Baseball haven't figured out. And throughout the book, they're constantly picking on Kenny Williams because he's the guy who can't figure out what Billy Bean's doing. He's just like, well, the White Sox don't know what they have there. I'm going to take it. The book openly mocks the White Sox. If you read that book, that book will make you laugh out loud at the way they talk about Ken Williams and the way that the White Sox evaluate talent and how they just pick their pocket and how the Sox just don't get what they have, but they see what they have. Well, here we are. We had this rule change years ago with left-handed pitchers. We're trading for a guy like Jake Diekman and putting him in that situation. It makes no sense to me. This team at times can be infuriating. Something that can be really infuriating to anybody out there that's trying to get medical equipment is not getting the right answers, paying too much, feeling like you're getting junk, feeling like you can't get to anybody if something's not working. That's why I recommend highly Hyatt Home Medical Equipment. Switch to a new age of life. Keep mom and dad, grandma and grandpa out of assisted living. Make it so they can get around on their own and live independently. Everything from stair lifts to ramps to grab bars, lift chairs, even bathroom remodeling. They work with the insurance. They have 0% financing for qualified individuals. Listen, I just went to the funeral of my wife's grandmother out here in Wheeling, West Virginia, McMeckin to be exact, where I I walked into a a graveyard and while I was waiting during the wake and my son and I went exploring, it like a creepy graveyard on the hill and found like a tombstone of a guy who fought in the first battle of the Civil War, which was kind of cool. We just went exploring. We found that. But anyway, I go to this wake. Everybody keeps talking about how she only went into care. She only went into hospice at the very end because it was so important for her after her husband died that she was going to get to stay in her home. That mattered to her. And they talked about that. And that when she went to the places she knew that she was going to pass peacefully, 
they she finally did want to go in the last couple of days there. But otherwise, she was able to get around living by herself, her son and her daughter living in South Carolina, which is a hellish 10-hour drive from there because I came from there two days ago after I stopped off to see other relatives and gather people up for this thing as I was driving up from Florida. I got stories to tell that will go on for years from this trip. It was like a beautiful vacation in the last three days. I mean, there's a reason I'm sitting here just, just drinking in the hotel and ranting about the White Sox. It's, it's cathartic. But it meant so much for her to stay inside of the home. And it means something to mom and dad and grandma and grandpa. Okay, so I want you to look at whatever, everything they have, HHME.com, uh, or just stop in and see Hyatt Home Medical Equipment at 3518 West 95th Street, Nevergreen Park. Mention socks in the basement. They're going to give you a discount. Tell them I sent you. More questions for this team. How about this one? Why does Rick Hahn have a job? I wrote this a couple days ago. Sitting around after watching another White Sox, like just frustrating loss. And then what happens is Rick goes in front of the press and starts talking. And I'm done with that. Let's be honest. I don't know who's buying his crap anymore. It's just the same thing said over and over again. It's like a lawyer in a courtroom that just keeps making the same point, looking at the jury, hoping they'll start buying his crap, even though his, his client is guilty. And Paul Sullivan writes some of this dribble. And here, here's, this was really interesting. He gets asked about fans worrying about it being a rerun of last season. And the quote from Han is, you guys always hear from the most negative fans. The fans I talk to never come up to me and say, Rick, this is the start of just the same stuff as last year. They seem to seek you guys out in the comments section. Imagine that. Who are you talking to, Rick? Who are the White Sox fans you're talking to or think you're doing a bang-up job? Who's still buying that? Who are these people? Is this somebody who's just got like nothing but a bottomless pit of money? They, they come there and they sit in their seats that are directly behind the plate. They've been, they've been buying seasons. And it's not that everybody is directly behind home plate is a bad fan. Please don't take it that way. But we all know that there is just a level of rich. And who cares if they win or lose? I just want to be here because I have disposable income that sits in those sections. Because I met him before. And they probably know Jerry personally. And they're probably at every event. And they just love being around the team. Every sports franchise has these people. When I was doing radio out here in Wheeling, West Virginia, the Wheeling Nailers minor league hockey team, which I believe is owned by Mario Lemieux. Somebody brought him up the other day to me and I was like, oh yeah, he, he actually owned the team out here. And I remember when he was coming back from his cancer diagnosis 20 some years ago, he actually played with the minor leaguers. It was like watching Michael Jordan play against a high school team. Every time he touched the ice, he scored. It was amazing. He was just rehabbing down here in Wheeling, West Virginia, before he went to Pittsburgh, which is very, very close. And there were people that were inside of that minor league team that didn't care if the team won or lost. They just wanted to go to the amenities. They liked parking in the best spaces because they were reserved for them. They took specialized entrances when they walked in. There were bars that only they could access. They were there every day. The players knew their names. The ownership knew their names. And it was like that there. It was like that when I was doing radio in Bakersfield, California. It was like that when I was doing radio out in Reno, Nevada. It was like that when I was in Champaign, Illinois, with people that were boosters for the University of Illinois. I, I once watched a season where the Illini never won a game. And there were people that pay their good money, and they just support the program because that's what matters to them. 
And I got to see this firsthand, not because I'm a rich person with disposable income, but because those kind of people like having people like me around because they listen to me on the radio and they're like, oh, well, that guy, I, I've heard him before. Let him in here with the elites. I'd be the guy standing off on the, to the side, drinking a beer, listening to these people talk. And the majority of them got, got very rich because of the fact that they, they were very smart in business, but they know nothing about sports. And I think these are the fans that Rakan is talking to. I think it's the people in these specialized clubs that walk around there. The people that have the special access that really don't care, that always believe no matter what. They don't even know who's on the team. They just believe whatever the team tells them. Or Rick's just lying, which is completely possible too. Anybody that's in his position where I don't think any other major league team would keep him and Kenny Williams in place at this point, after this many years, after this many failures over years and years with trying to flip the roster and add talent and do something and coming up with basically nothing to show for it. I don't think he could get a job anywhere else right now. I think he knows it too. If he were ever fired, he would never be a GM again. So he's going to do everything he can to keep it. And he's going to say whatever he has to say. And he's going to deflect it. And he's going to be like, I don't know what you're talking about. The only negative people are in the comments section on social media. And those people are crazy. No, Rick. If those people were crazy, podcasts like this wouldn't be able to survive. And the same can be said for a lot of other White Sox podcasts that are floating out there. They get massive numbers and get massive, you know, support and have sponsors. And, and because there's people listening, businesses don't give away their money for nothing. So you go ahead and keep telling Paul Sullivan that these negative fans are few and far between, you know, the, the, the real White Sox fans aren't angry. Okay. But you're either, you're either delusional you're talking to the wrong fans because you've insulated yourself or you're just flat out lying to us at this point. And that doesn't really change my opinion of you because I wanted you fired before we even started the offseason. Here's another question that I just typed in the other day. And I said, well, I want to ask this on the show because it's a legitimate question. Do the White Sox have any security at their games? And if they do have security, have they cut back on it recently? Because you're not getting sellout crowds, right? And you've got these angry fans, not a lot of them, according to Rick Hahn, but you've got them, right? So you're not, you're, not, you're not killing it at the gate. And I just keep finding different angles of this fight that happened the other day during the Orioles game. And it's a brouhaha. I mean, not only is it a brouhaha, but music is being played that kind of goes along with fighting. And at one point, the one girl, after being in the fight, stands on top of the stands and openly mocks the people who she just had a fist fight with until somebody throws something at her, and then she runs up, falls down on her butt, and the fight goes off again. The fight lasts, the last video that I watched of this fight, and it looks like it was down the third baseline, it, it has to involve 15 different people at some point. There's a point in the just under two minutes of film that I watch on this in which no security shows up. Nobody comes running in to stop this thing. Where the fight happens, slows to a stop, the mocking occurs, the fight starts again, and the entire stadium can see it to the point where every time a punch is landed, you hear the oh from the whole crowd. Not just the couple of people that are there. You can hear it echo through the stadium like somebody just made an amazing play. The whole stadium can see this. Where's the response? You know, there's a lot of problems. I'm seeing pictures of gates being backed up where they can't get people inside the park. I will tell you this. The parking has gotten better because they're walking down the line like it's a Portillo's line now, right? They're not waiting for you to get to the window. They're actively walking down the street before you even pull into the lot, getting you 
so that you're not getting slowed down at that point. And I think it's moving things quicker because I felt like even though I still had to wait in line to get in the parking lot, it wasn't excruciating when I went out there for the home opener. And that was the home opener. It wasn't a huge crowd. It wasn't a sellout crowd. I don't know why that is because there's not very many negative fans. You had a home opener in your place. <laughs> your place was half filled and he's spouting that nonsense. I don't want to get back at him. I'm moving on from that question. But like, did Lurie Garcia's contract eat away at the security costs at the ballpark? Because you got a lot of problems. The last thing you want is parents saying, well, I don't want to bring my kids to the game because they might get, they might see something like that thing. It's absolutely crazy, man. They got to get their house in order. Hailstorm Brewing is the official brewery of Socks in the Basement, located in Tinley Park at 8060 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue. They have an incredible lineup of beers, mouth-watering scratch kitchen, and a working brewery with tap room and large beer hall there. It is an incredible setup. They've got events going on all the time where they have live music on the weekends. They do trivia contests. They do yoga and beer. Uh, the, the kitchen's open now for lunch. Starting at 11 a.m., they've got lunch specials where it's essentially basically you're getting a lunch, you're getting a beer, but the the special is discounted so much that it's basically like you're getting a lunch and then the beer just kind of appears there. It's incredible. The brewery tours they've been doing with Will Turner walking around and uh, talking with people about everything that he does uh, while you're tasting new beers, that's also incredible. The next one of those is April 27th. 15 spots available in intimate tasting and you get to talk about it with Will. It's 20 bucks a ticket, but it includes a flight of beer. Go to hailstormbrewing.com, register there, and make sure you check them out on tap over at Cork and Carry at the park. All right, I got another question. And the question is, how long does Michael Kopech last in the rotation? You may be sitting there saying, well, that's, that's crazy talk. I don't know, man. I mean, he had a really bad start. He had a really good start. And then he had the start that he just recently had over the weekend on Saturday against the Orioles. Just, just some stats that I, uh, I stole off a CBS.com article. Kopech getting crushed. Average exit velocity on Saturday against the Orioles, 97.2 miles per hour. That's incredible. That's every hit. The average of every hit, every time the, the, the ball came off the bat, was 97.2 miles per hour. That's how well the Orioles were hitting him. He's in the sixth percentile of all pitchers in average exit velocity allowed up to now. That's not good. That's not a guy who's fooling anybody. It's not just the tipping of pitches, which I think was apparent in the first game. You know, he may only end up being a very good, high leverage, one to two inning relief pitcher. And if this team was run by a competent general manager in front office, they may have recognized that sooner because he's never given me the confidence that I believed he was a top-end rotation guy. And there would have been nothing wrong with all the free agent pitchers that were out there to go spend some money on that. And if you would have spent your money properly over the last couple of years, you should have had plenty to add another guy into that rotation. And imagine your bullpen right now if you took the pressure of him having to get through a lineup more than once. And instead, you could use him in the right situation with the stuff that he has. And now you make everybody else in the bullpen better because they're used differently. You, think of the problems you have just because you couldn't identify that Michael Kopech may not be an every fifth day 
start and give you five, six, seven innings. Because I just don't think you're going to get that consistently from him. I'd love to see him prove me wrong. But again, that's the White Sox moniker, isn't it? We're going to prove things to people. We haven't proven it yet. We're going to prove things to people. Well, that's that's one of many things that need to be proven to me that he can do that. And I'm not really sure that that's possible anymore. Again, you know, I'm getting to the point where I'm sitting around saying, okay, well, maybe maybe Sean Burke or Davis Martin, maybe at some point, what if they came up and they were now getting that start and we could get something a little bit more effective? Or what if this team would have done something in the offseason? Look at how it changes the bullpen. And that's the whole thing. You know, the White Sox fortunes are tied to, in my opinion, right now, not the injuries. It's not the injuries. And it's not the offense as much because the offense has shown so much life. You're going to have bad days at the ballpark. You're going to have days where it doesn't click. You're going to have days where a pitcher dominates you. The problem that you have is that if you're going to be a contending team, pitching and defense wins championships, right? And that's the thing that needs to be focused on. And that's the thing that should have always been focused on. You need to have a consistent rotation that generally gives you quality starts, which is not a ridiculous thing to ask. It is not a ridiculous thing to ask that the majority of the starts, your starters can go six innings and give up three or less earned runs. That's not, that's not going out there and being Cy Young. It's not being Jacob DeGrom every time when he's, when he's rolling. That's a reasonable ask, especially for the top end of your rotation to be able to do that. Okay, I still think that the top end of your rotation should be giving you eight. Okay, and, it sh- and maybe not even up to three. That's, that's top end guys to me. That, that's, what I, that's what I expect from my baseball pitchers. But the other problem is then you need to have the right pieces in the bullpen. Just imagine how different the bullpen would be if you would have recognized that maybe this kid just doesn't have enough pitches or he just doesn't have it, the it factor. I'm not going to sit there and say, um, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to get into his psyche, right? I mean, he seems like an emotional kid. He, he makes comments from time to time that seem like, well, you know, I was upset or, you know, I wasn't all there or, you know, I was, you know, not, not feeling it. Okay, fine. If you're going to be an every fifth day guy, you got to be feeling it and there every fifth day. Relief pitchers, you can sit there and say, you, you do it today, Michael? I don't know. I don't know. I woke up a little sad today or I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not feeling the fire today or I, when I throw this, it doesn't feel right. All right, cool. We won't use you today. You could, you could hide that in your bullpen. And then when it's time and he's ready to go, boom, get him out there. I, I think that's something that could have been recognized. I think that's what we're dealing with here. And so I think that the White Sox need to move him or will eventually need to move him into the bullpen. And that leads me to my final question. What is the difference between Rick Renteria, Tony La Russa, and Pedro Grafal? Because that, that I wrote down as well. Now I'm hoping that the difference is, is that Pedro first has a little bit more juice. Because if this doesn't work out, it's not on the manager. It's on the general manager. The general manager who hired this manager and the general manager who constructed the team. So you would think that if Pedro recognizes that somebody sucks, that Pedro should be able to say, I'm not using him anymore or get him off my team. Or maybe Pedro's sending guys out there in situations because the general manager is telling him, no, 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 this is the right guy for this. And he's like, all right, well, we're going to show you. Now watch me do it my way. That's what I'm waiting for. Because right now there are times where I sit there and say, I don't see any difference in the logic. Now, I did see a few changes in how guys were used. I have seen some hope 
that maybe he recognizes what his problems are. And yeah, he's a first-year manager. He's got to learn exactly what works and what doesn't. Ozzie Guillen had to figure that out in 2004. He didn't just get hired and go out and win the World Series. 2004, he was like, whew, I keep trying what they're telling me works and it ain't working. So he would go out there. He'd leave guys out there. He'd let them get killed. He had to prove a point to the front office. Unfortunately, that ain't going to work as well here because we're not, we're not looking at next year as, well, that's okay. The window will get wider. That ain't the case. So it'll be interesting, and he's the guy I'm really watching. Does he go with hot hands? Does he start insisting on doing things his way? Will he be allowed to do that? That's the real question. Will I, at the halfway point of the season, say there is a difference between those three guys? If I can't say that there's a difference, then the season is probably cooked at that point. If I can say there is a difference, then this team turned it around. And it is still, even though I know people hate hearing this, early. And there's still an opportunity to recognize what doesn't work, who isn't being used in the right place, who shouldn't be on this team, and make appropriate changes. There is an opportunity to use guys in specific ways. There was a way to make this better. You could have recognized you have an injury-prone team with some injury-prone players, and maybe we can't rely on them just because we figure the law of averages is going to work out. Sometimes when it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. The fans that Rakan doesn't believe exist, or there aren't a lot of them, or they're just the few negative ones, because all the White Sox fans he talked to, they're so happy. We've noticed what's a duck on this team. We've figured that out. I think we've all got a pretty good idea of it. In fact, I'm to the point now when somebody writes me on Twitter or Facebook or a comment at SoxInTheBasement.com and defends the front office, it's the front office. <laughs> like, I actually laugh when I get caught. If I get a comment going, oh, you're too hard on Rick, it's Jerry's fault. Well, sure, you can give some blame to Jerry. He's been the general manager, been in an organization for 20 years. He knows. He knows what the budget is. He knows who the guy is. He knows what he's supposed to do. He didn't do it right. So serious, every time I get when I get it, it gives me, it gives me a warmth in my heart that they love me so much inside that building that they're listening. Because that's the only people that are commenting on this at this point. I, I can't believe that if somebody's out there defending this at this point that they don't have some sort of connection to the team or they didn't just fall down and hit their head on a rock, one or the other. Maybe they got into a fight down the third baseline. Security didn't get there for multiple minutes. And they got hit in the face like 12 times. By the way, don't go do that at ball games. You're just a clown. It's a clown thing to do. There's kids, man. You know, these are the same people who sit there in the third inning when somebody catches a home run ball. Like, Give it to the kid. Don't be a bum. Give it to the kid. And in the sixth inning, they're drunk, and they spill a beer on some other kid's father's lap while he's trying to shield them from the melee going on in the ballpark. I mean, seriously, if you're doing that stuff, stay away. Nobody wants you anymore. Nobody wants you at the ball game. You're not cool. All right? Just, just, don't, just don't go. Learn how to handle your liquor. What is the point of that? Think of the money you spent. You don't even remember anything from the fifth inning on. You come home with a black eye. Your girlfriend's arm's in a sling. All right, I just got a text that they're done with the pool and those kids want to come upstairs. I guess I'll let them back up. I'm coming back to Chicago tomorrow. I'm serious. Unless the car breaks down or something else. Oh my gosh, I've been gone for so long. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. 
Socks in the Basement. Socks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.